August 1984, the police received a missing person report from a woman named Rosemary. She was frantic because her daughter Elizabeth was gone, and for weeks her and the rest of her family hadn't heard from Elizabeth, and Rosemary said that her and her husband, Josef Ferretzel, had been worried sick. Then out of nowhere, they got a letter from Elizabeth saying she'd grown tired of her life and decided to run away. And in the letter, she warned her parents not to look for her, otherwise she'd leave the country. The police came to the Fertzel house to investigate. When they asked Yosef where Elizabeth could have went, he said he had no idea, but she'd previously talked about joining a religious cult. But little did the police officers know that they were standing right on top of Elizabeth, who was about 20 feet below them in a basement. And she would spend the next 24 years there, trapped and tortured by her own father, Josef Ferenzel. All sources used are contained in the notes. This was a suggested case, and can I say that reading into this was such a horrifying experience in a sense that what Elizabeth went through was beyond what words can describe, and what her own blood-related dad did to her, the amount of planning he did before he lured her into this man-made prison was absolutely terrifying and disgusting, and he deserved to be behind bars forever. Before we begin, trigger warning for sexual abuse and mature content. I'll be going into quite a lot of detail, so if you think you might be uncomfortable, you should skip this one. I talked in the H.H. Holmes case about clinically diagnosed psychopaths and adults who later on are involved in criminality. And they all have a couple things that are similar with each other, one of them being having come from broken homes with neglectful parents and were either emotionally or physically aggressive. And you can really see this from Yosef's background and how this come in place and shape his thinking and route later on in adult life. Yosef Ferretzel Jr. was born in 1935 in Amstetten, Lower Austria. His granddad was a miller around a farm. He actually had a lot of sexual relations with the maids in his home for the express purpose of having children, and Yosef's mother Maria was one of them, so she was technically an illegitimate child. Maria then went on to marry Yosef's dad, Yosef Ferretzel Sr., and they actually lived only 90 miles away from where Hitler was born at 40 Ebstrasse. Joseph Jr. saw Hitler in March of 1938. He would then go on to blame the dictator and Nazism, among many other things, for his deranged behavior towards his daughter in the upcoming years. So basically, he would then go on to say it was the Nazi ideology that fucked him up. But are there really any excuses you can use to be a bad human being? I feel like if you recognize that you're bad, you're not really entitled to use any excuses and say someone else fucked you up when you full-on realize what you're doing should you continue to be bad. I think it's a different story, though, if you don't really recognize you're being an awful human being because you haven't gained that self-awareness. Does that make sense? I don't know. I feel like using someone else's behavior to excuse your own and how you act later on is just looking for reasons to clear your conscience so you don't have to deal with the consequences of your actions and you can just blame it on everyone else. 
So Yosef Sr. fought in war but was a prisoner in the Soviet Gulag until 1948. Upon returning to Amstetten, he was shunned by his wife and son as a gutless and shameful coward. Yosef Jr.'s hatred for his dad would start to simmer at this point and would continue on for the rest of his life. I've actually attached a link of a photo of Yosef Jr. in the notes and if you look at his picture, he looks very evil. Like, I'm not just talking about him looking evil because, you know, he did something horrible. But something about the way his eyebrows curved sent a shiver down my spine when I was researching him. And he genuinely looked very, very chillingly scary. Yosef's mother, Maria, was said to be a woman who really wanted a child but wanted none of the responsibilities of it. And she often beat and neglected Yosef and was often very, very angry with him and just physically and emotionally aggressive. Her temper got her arrested and sent to a concentration camp in 1945, so Yosef was left alone at the age of 10. He was sent to an orphanage and be told that her mother was dead. And obviously at the age of 10, you are suddenly left with no parents. Yosef Sr. was at war this time and Maria was gone as well. He must have been so lost, especially being told his mom was dead, just out of nowhere. And although Maria did get him back after she was freed after the war, the beating only got worse after a time in the camp and she was abusing him every day, every minute. Yosef stood up to her finally when he was 15. And it was at 15 when he also started developing deviant sexual habits. He started with voyeurism, wandering around the corner of Amstadt and listening for noises of couples having sex. So he was that creepy guy in the corner we're also wary of. His deviance escalated into acts of revenge against his mother. She was bedridden at a point and really sick, and he ultimately locked her in her own attic and bricked up the windows. She died in 1980. Yosef said he wanted revenge on what she'd done to him. That voyeurism would then escalate, as these behaviors tend to do in a case of sexual psychopaths like Yosef, from nuisance type of behaviors like being a peeping Tom to more serious ones like exposing himself to young women and getting violent with the prostitutes in a red light district of Linz. In 1951, at the age of 16, Yosef went to Linz and began his studies and on-the-job learning to become an engineer. Engineers were in very high demand after the war, and five years later he would then meet his wife, 17-year-old Rosemary Byers, at the firm where he was working as a technical assistant. Rosemary's dad also worked there. Yosef told his friends he was very impressed by Rosemary and she would make an exceptional housewife because she shows incredible, quote, obedience, end quote, which I must say is a horrible, horrible reason to want to marry someone. And I'm really not sure how obedience would become impressive enough to make someone want to marry you. And I'm not sure how obedience would equate to being a great housewife because you'd be so good at chores besides answering to your husband. Anywho, by 1963, Yosef and Rosemary were married with three children, two daughters and one son. That year, Yosef was sent by his employer on a two-year business trip to Ghana. And when he came back, three of his children had grown so much that he became kind of overwhelmed and really stressed out by how much work he realized he had to tend to if he had children. And a year after he came back in 1966, Elizabeth was born. 
and the birth of Elizabeth only added more stress to Joseph's life. So he reverted back to his old predatory sexual habits, which were dormant when he was overseas. Yosef escaped to Linz, where he worked to get away from the small town scrutiny of Amstetten. No one in Linz would question him or view him with suspicion, and he didn't have to worry there about anything getting back to his wife's ears. His first violent crime in Linz was in 1967 when he followed a mother home from the grocery store and raped her at knife point in her bed while her infant child slept in a cot next to it. The court gave him 18 months in prison for the crime. Okay, so I'm not an expert at law or anything, but I thought it was very, very little. You get put behind bars for far longer time for committing grand robbery, and these are people's lives we're talking about. Rapists get away so easy with little time before they're offered psychological help or some other form of reform, and almost in no time they're put back out into the world again for putting all these people in danger. And what was even more infuriating besides this featherlight sentence for a heinous crime was the Austrian justice system effectively expunging his rape conviction from his record after 10 years. So that means the Austrian justice system would scrape all of someone's conviction from their records after 10 years and this was done with most crimes regardless of severity, which was outrageously horrible. I don't understand how you can compare someone committing petty theft to someone with a serial rape or sexual deviant record and both can be put on the same scale and gets erased after the same length of time. Whether or not the record should be erased is obviously another topic. I get the whole retaliation versus reformation argument, but for the safety of the general public and to reduce criminality should you not fund resources to put the offender through an analysis before their record is stricken or before they're let out? I mean, again, I'm not a professional and it's just my opinion and I personally think this makes zero sense. And this law wasn't changed until 2008 and it took both the Furetzel case and the Kampusch case that happened in Austria that would finally get them to change this law in 2008 after Furetzel's trial. The Kampusch case happened before Furetzel's. A woman called Natasha was imprisoned by a sexual psychopath in a cellar for eight years. By the time 1972 came around, the Furetzel's had their seventh and last child. So there are three girls and four boys in total. Yosef's reputation as an independently wealthy engineer was growing fast, so he decided to invest in property by buying guest houses, restaurants, and a 40-bedroom, three-story hotel. This made him some money for a while, but that was when his hotel mysteriously caught on fire. And the police never found out why and if it were arson or insurance fraud. Yet the hotel would make news again in 2017 when the new owner of one of Yosef's old properties found a, quote, staircase to nowhere, end quote, and various, quote, hidden rooms, end quote, in a structure. Very creepy. I feel like if I were the new occupier, this would for sure be a ring of alarm bells. Like something was clearly wrong here. But it wasn't said that anyone chased it up or anyone like the police had looked into it. So nothing really came out of that. 
1986, a 17-year-old woman named Martina P. was found wrapped in plastic and dumped on a beach near one of Yosef's houses. The police never found anything definitive linking Yosef to Martina's death, but here's the thing. It was said that she looked astonishingly like Elizabeth Furitzel, and she was also her age. Yosef never admitted anything, so would never know how this poor girl died and who murdered her. During this time, Yosef was very much thought of as the family man in Amstetten, which was very much a lot like other socially competent serial killers like BTK and Ted Bundy. They were also thought as very amiable and good with people. Side note, it was said that this sort of behavior was a sort of, quote, compartmentalization, end quote, as BTK had put it in an interview. I think it's very scary, but at the same time, very interesting how some people manage their feelings and compartmentalizing events and actions in our head because it's almost like if they didn't want to feel it or don't see a reason to they can't six years later in 1978 that was when Yosef really started expanding 40 Ebstrasse including a labyrinth like cellar under the house and during this time, no one really thought it was out of the ordinary or anything because he was an engineer and DIYing for an engineer was pretty common and nothing out of the ordinary. But at the same time, Yosef started being really obsessively controlling towards his daughter Elizabeth, like asking her where she was all the time and controlling where she could go and not go. And he just started grooming her into thinking this behavior is normal fatherly behaviors. He also spied on her very regularly, watching her every move, and this would soon escalate into his psychosexual behaviors in early parts of his life. In 1981, Elizabeth started a gastronomy and tourism course out of town and started waiting tables to support herself. Now this might be a really independent thing to do and is encouraged in most families. But this only got under Yosef's skin and added fuel to the fire of his obsession. The gastronomy class was kind of the last rope that broke the camel's back. And Yosef escalated starting that year by exposing himself to Elizabeth, leaving pornographic literature under her pillow, and sexually abusing her in every way. Around this time, Elizabeth's friend said she was very, very introverted at school, but it was also very clear that she liked school way better than at home. But no one asked further questions about why or what was going on at home. Then in 1983, Yosef finished his cellar and he said it was to be used for storage and workshop, which very annoyingly was considered normal because he's an engineer and was perceived by his neighborhood as a family man. He built the basement to be a space where he could have maximum possible physical control over. So it had lighting and a lot of interconnected rooms. And you can see a picture I've attached in the notes. If you open it, you can see on the picture that they're all connected. And there's even a padded room that's filled with foam for soundproofing. So you can really, really see how this guy puts so much effort into planning it elaborately. Like this wasn't a crime and passion. Not saying that that would make it all right, but it just emphasizes how unbelievably scary it is and a length someone would go to to torture their own child for their sick psychopathic fetishes. Can you imagine he must have been envisioning this imprisonment and torturing her while he built this cellar? 
while also building every measure to prevent himself from getting caught and making a DIY prison for his daughter. That is so sick, and it shocks me that he appeared to be so normal to outsiders, like no one had a second thought that something was wrong or suspected him. It was suspected, though, that his wife knew and she may have played a part in it, but there weren't strong enough evidence to support that. At the end of January, Elizabeth ran away to Vienna to escape her increasingly scary and controlling father. She was picked up by Vienna police and she was held until Josef made the drive from Amstetten to pick her up himself because she was technically still a minor. So I'm quite confused about this because it wasn't mentioned what exactly she said to the police. But did the police not ask her what was the reason for a normal schoolgirl who never had any delinquent records to run away from home? Or what's going on at home? Are there any alarm bells? I thought it must have been so scary for her to run away but only be taken back by the monster abusing her. On the drive back, Yosef ominously said, quote, I'll never let you run away again, end quote. Elizabeth could have had no idea just how terrifyingly true that statement would turn out to be a little over a year later. Elizabeth couldn't take it anymore and she told Yosef she was moving to Linz to live with her sister in May of 1984. And this only escalated his pathological need to imprison her and keep her there where he could have her close and keep torturing her. I think the sense of desire, controlling of women, and keeping them obedient originated from his mother abusing him and neglected him during the war. Yosef would later admit to the psychiatrist from prison that he often fantasized about sexual intercourse and domination of his mother. And this was very likely reflected in Elizabeth as a surrogate for his mother. And mind you, I'm not saying this to excuse his behaviors and just to say, oh yeah, it was solely because of his mom. I'm saying how parents treat their kids and what they went through during their childhood is a reflection of how they later on behave and think about the world. Because when you're so young, your parents are the way you understand the world and make sense of it. And how they behave is a reflection of how you'll eventually learn through their lens. So I think it's important to see how bad parenting will have this effect on children and how they make sense of things around them. So one day, Yosef asked Elizabeth to come help him lift a door in the garage, and she went. Afterwards, he said he wanted to talk to her about something, and she said, yeah, sure. But just for a split second, when she had her back facing him, he took something out of his pocket. It was an ether-soaked rag, and he held it against her face, so tight that she had no idea what was happening, but she breathed it in out of reflex, and then everything went black for Elizabeth. And that was on August 28th, 1984. And she wouldn't be found till 24 years later, in 2008. After she passed out, Yosef carried her into the cellar and handcuffed and chained her to a ring in the floor. Elizabeth had no way of knowing she would be in that dark, humid, bug and rodent infested place with just a bed, toilet, and TV for 24 years. To save his own butt and make sure no one would suspect what was really going on, he forced her to write a letter saying she wanted to run away and join a satanic cult. So the satanic panic was big back then with a lot of people worrying about the devil and cults and whatnot. 
So that was quite a believable lie back in the day. And he then drove a hundred miles away to post a letter. At first, it was said that Yosef strapped up her arms and then tied them behind her back with an iron chain, which he secured to metal posts behind her bed. She could only move about half a meter either side of the bed. And after two days, he gave her more freedom of movement by attaching a chain around her waist. Then, about six to nine months into her imprisonment, he removed the metal chain because he said, quote, it was hindering his sexual activity with his daughter, end quote. He sexually abused and raped her sometimes several times a day. And over the course of nearly a quarter of a century, he would rape her at least 3,000 times. And this started when he was only 11 years old. As far as the rest of the Furitzel family was concerned, Yosef would head down to the basement every morning at 9 a.m. to draw plans for the machines that he sold, and occasionally he would spend the night. Wow, a very hard-working husband and a father indeed. And it was said that his wife and the rest of the children never worried because her husband, their father, just seemed so dedicated to his career. But from Elizabeth's eyes, this could not be more of the opposite of the truth. At the minimum, he would visit her in the basement three times a week, and usually it was every day. Now, depends on which source material you look at, some have said that he left her alone for the first two years before he began regularly assaulting her. But others said that was just the first day, and he started assaulting her from the second. But not that the exact timeline would make things any better. Imagine an 11-year-old barely a child that can make sense of the mature world around her, still counting on her parents who are supposed to protect her from harm, and she's being abused and tormented by her own father, her own blood relation that was supposed to protect her and care for her. And she was only 11, and she was just so confused and scared and had no one to lean on. Two years into her captivity, Elizabeth became pregnant. Ten weeks later, she had a miscarriage. Later, she fell pregnant again, this time in August of 1988, and a baby girl named Kirsten was born. Two years later, another baby was born, a boy named Stefan. Stefan would go on to have horrible back pain and misalignment because he was 5'8 and had always had to lean in the cellar. Throughout these 24 years, she would have seven children in this basement, including a miscarriage. From here on out, when the births occurred, her father only gave her a book on childbirth, a rag, a pair of scissors, and a few wet wipes. She gave birth while being completely alone in that pitch-dark place, completely devoid of any sunlight. And three of these children were to stay underground, never seeing daylight until their release in April 2008. Yosef brought the other three upstairs and took them in and looked after them with Rosemary. It was said that he told the public that these three children just mysteriously appeared on his doorstep, abandoned, and he presented this with the evidence of a letter that he forced Elizabeth to write which said that she was well and that these children were hers, but she couldn't look after them. He even made the effort each time to hide these children in different places, like the bushes or under the stairs, so the discovery of these abandoned children would look real. 
Elizabeth's third child, Lisa, was born with a heart defect. And when Yosef learned about this, his first reaction wasn't, Oh, I must save this child. But instead, he didn't want to take the gamble of his upstairs family hearing a constantly crying baby in pain coming from downstairs. So he took the baby and pretended he found her on his doorstep. The baby in the end did receive emergency surgery and by all accounts lived a somewhat normal life with the upstairs family she thought were just her grandparents. Kirsten and Stefan remained in the cellar with their mother for the duration of her imprisonment, being brought weekly rations of food and water by Yosef. Elizabeth really tried to be a good mother and to give him everything she lost. She attempted to teach them with the rudimentary education she herself had and give them the most normal life she could under these horrific circumstances. And shockingly, social services never questioned the appearance of these children and allowed the Fritzels to keep them as their own children. And it was said that they were under the impression that Rosemary and Yosef were the baby's grandparents. Over the next 24 years, the horror for Elizabeth was unrelenting. The cold, the damp, the rats, which she was sometimes forced to catch with her own bare hands. The water that ran off the walls in such large quantities, she had to use towels to soak it up. During summer, when the place was turned into an intolerable sweaty sauna, was the worst time of the year, and she would later write all of these in a calendar. When the downstairs basement was getting more cramped, Yosef opened up more space among the rooms and brought in things like a refrigerator, which he kept stocked, toys for children, and even a pet goldfish and canary. So in short, he tried to normalize the hellish situation he's created. Not that it would excuse what he did and make it alright. It wasn't alright. Elizabeth attempted her own normalcy and her kids as well, getting them up at the same time every day, cooking them breakfast in the tiny kitchen, and teaching them how to read. And these children, meanwhile, would watch Elizabeth's dad abuse and rape her in front of them. In 1994, on December 16th, the fourth child, Monica, would be born. She was taken upstairs, the same as Lisa, with another note Elizabeth was forced to write. And throughout all of this, by the way, Yosef was receiving money from the government. He was getting financial assistance from Austrian social services for these children because they never thought to probe deeper because his 1967 rape conviction was no longer on his record. And this is why the scraping of that assault record was along the many important things that could have left authorities to suspect to save Elizabeth from this horrible human being. But instead, there was no record to suggest his past violence and a lot of people, including Elizabeth and the kids that were born, had to suffer from it. In April of 1996, Elizabeth gave birth to twins Michael and Alexander. Michael had horrible breathing problems, so Yosef just left him to die and hurled the baby's body into his furnace, while Alexander was taken upstairs in a manner of his older sisters. Yosef would later on be convicted of Michael's murder. Around this time, Yosef started going on a lot of business trips for weeks at a time. He would leave plenty of food, water, and vitamin supplements for his, quote, 
downstairs family, end quote, when he would be gone. In 2002, Elizabeth gave birth to her seventh and last child, a boy named Felix. A Medium article written by Wes Holbrich said that this, quote, number seven child effectively made Yosef's downstairs family a grotesque mirrored image of his upstairs family, which is interesting again from a symbolic point of view, end quote which I thought was a very sinister way of looking at it, meaning that the number of people upstairs and downstairs, including the mothers, had become the same. I don't even know how to describe this. It just sends, it's sending a chill down my spine right now. It just went to show how sinister this double life he had was. Wes said that, quote, it's as if the upstairs family that was properly integrated into their community just weren't enough and only stirred Furtzel's anger, much like how he stirred his mother's. The unconscious way he saw to remedy this was to have his second family upstairs and controlled exactly how he believes all women and children should be controlled." End quote. And I think this is a very Freudian way of looking at things. And obviously there's a lot to unpack here, including his conscious and unconscious mind, his past, his childhood, and how he reflects these learnings in how he behaved with his own family. And also how he saw what was perceived as right by society and knowing what he did had to be hidden away underneath and his release of his evilness onto his daughter and the children. By the way, you probably noticed I never called Elizabeth's children his children, as I've always referred to them as Elizabeth's children or the children. And it's not that I don't want you to confuse between them and Yosef's children with Rosemary, aka Elizabeth's siblings. But I truly believe, blood relation or not, this man had no right to claim the father title to Elizabeth's kids. He never cared for them, he even murdered one of them, only gave Elizabeth a rag and a book and zero of the support she needed during her birth giving, and he did this to her and the kids. So no, I don't consider him any sort of father to these children. And that's why I haven't referred to him as that way and I won't be in the rest of this case. When a seventh child Felix was born, Yosef grew very fond of him. He wanted to get him upstairs and integrate both families. Wow, what an angel. So to do that, he began planning to release Elizabeth in 2008, about the time Felix would need to start school. He believed the gaslighting he did on Elizabeth, so telling her that there were subterranean gas traps, electrified doors should she try to escape was effective enough to scare her from telling the authorities what really happened. But before Yosef would put this plan in motion, Kirsten, who was at this point 19, and yes, she was 19 at this point, that's almost the same age as most of us, the age you would start uni. And bear in mind that these 19 years of her life, she'd never seen what was outside of her basement and lived in a cramped space without any social contact and education she was supposed to have. And could you imagine when you were 19, but you never had all these things that you experienced? So Kirsten at this point had suddenly became really, really ill and almost comatose. 
but all they had in the cellar to treat her vague symptoms, which was profuse sweating, unusually white skin, and all the symptoms of kidney failure, was aspirin. And bear in mind that this girl and her brother Stefan and Felix had never seen sunlight before, so they were probably very, very malnutritioned and had zero vaccination to protect them from any kind of dirt or germs from the outside, so they're very, very fragile. Elizabeth begged her father to get medical help for Kirsten, and she said she refused to live if he let Kirsten die. So then Yosef took Kirsten to the hospital. And upon arriving at the hospital, the doctors were very, very confused by Kirsten's constellation of symptoms, which turned out to be severe vitamin D deficiency. Despite the lamps Yosef installed in a cellar and the vitamin supplements he had stocked in the basement, which news flash, keeping a group of people in a dark cellar, which was humid, unbearably hot during summer, it's no wonder that these people are sick, and this isn't something vitamin supplements can solve when these people have never seen the outside world in sunlight before. Their immune system was probably zero at this point. So the doctors were like, we've never seen anything like this before, and it seemed like this girl had never ever had any shed of sunlight with such severe symptoms. So Kirsten had lost most of her teeth at this point, and had developed the habit of tearing her hair out in clumps, shredding her dresses, and stuffing them down a toilet in the cellar. So long story short, she was very, very malnutritioned in every way possible. And at this point, she was 19. So she'd been this malnutrition for 19 years. Can you imagine the not just the physical but mental effects this would have on young Kirsten and Stefan, building up to when they're in their late teens? This will probably scar them for life and it is irreversible. Yosef had introduced himself as Kirsten's grandfather, but the doctors kept asking him to get the mother in there so they could take an even more thorough history and get a handle of what's happening. And obviously when introducing this new child Yosef suddenly had again, he had to go by the account that she was sent to him and just that he didn't know her that well. So obviously the doctors were like, well, we need the mom here to tell us what's really been going on with this child and corroborate things. So at this point, they thought something was fishy, and then they alerted the police. They had the police search for her, and after about a week, put out a nationally televised appeal for Elizabeth to come home. Their plan was to charge her with severe neglect. So obviously you would never see a teenager this malnutrition without any sunlight, so they were determined to find out what was happening. And when Elizabeth saw the televised appeal on her tiny TV in a cellar, when her dad came back, she said to him, you're going to take me in there or I will kill myself down here. And Yosef agreed. When she got to the hospital, the police immediately arrested her and began interrogating her. And at first, she stuck to the story that Yosef had told her to say, which was the kids were hers and she ran away. But it was only when they threatened to take her children away that she finally told them what her father had done to her for 24 years. The police immediately arrested Yosef and freed the other children in the cellar. And upon the arrest, Yosef had pled not guilty to crimes including rape, false imprisonment, and deprivation of liberty. And Elizabeth and the children, meanwhile, started intense therapy, and they had to start learning about how to live in the outside world again. 
and it was needless to say how hard it must have been for everyone for Elizabeth who had been through hell the past 24 years and her children who are already adult and near adulthood to relearn everything and forget the trauma. Just to put into perspective for you of how long these 24 years were and how much Elizabeth's missed from the outside world. During those years, Mikhail Gorbachev called for perestroika and glasnost. Chernobyl's nuclear reactor blew up. DNA first came into use to convict criminals. The Berlin Wall fell. And then there was Tiananmen Square. The release of Nelson Mandela and the LA riots after the beating of Rodney King. O.J. Simpson was arrested for murder. Rwanda. Diana, Princess of Wales, died. The Euro was introduced. Mad cow disease happened. Slobodan Milosevic went on trial. A tsunami devastated Asia. Not to mention all the inventions and technological developments from phone to the internet. Yosef's trial began on 16th of March 2009. And on day one, he entered the courtroom trying to hide his face from cameras behind a blue folder, which under Austrian law he was entitled to do. And after the opening speech, all journalists and spectators were asked to leave the courtroom, and Yosef lowered his binder after. He denied his murder charge of Michael and grievous assaults by threatening to gas his captives if they disobeyed him. Yosef's lawyer, a guy called Rudolf Mayer, appealed to the jury to be objective and not be swayed by emotions. He insisted that Yosef was, quote, not a monster, end quote, with the evidence being that Yosef had brought a Christmas tree down to his captives in the cellar during the holiday season, which I'm just like, Wow, father of the century award. Yes, he was not a monster for Knockout's daughter and chained her to the basement to rape her and abuse her for 24 years. Yes, he is indeed very kind-hearted because he bought a Christmas tree. The prosecutor Christian Berkheiser pressed for life imprisonment in a psychiatric institution for the criminal. During the trial, she demonstrated for jurors the low height of the ceiling in a cellar dungeon by making a mark on the floor to the courtroom at 174 centimeters and described the cellar as, quote, damp and moldy, end quote. And she passed around a box of musty objects taken from the cellar, and it was said that when it was passed around, the odor of these objects made the jurors flinch. On the first day of testimony, jurors watched 11 hours of testimony recorded by Elizabeth in sessions with the police and psychologists in July 2008. This tape is said to have been so, quote, harrowing, end quote, that the eight jurors did not watch more than two hours at a time. Four replacement jurors were on standby to replace any of the regular jurors in case they could not bear to hear any more of the evidence. And, can I just say, this was how disturbing it was. It wasn't like watching a documentary on Netflix or anything about the most gruesome killers and their victims. This was watching the real-life first-hand testimony of the victim that was in prison for 24 years. Words from her own mouth in that state to the police. It was so psychologically unbearable that most jurors couldn't take it. And besides the video testimony, Elizabeth's older brother Harold testified and said he was physically abused by Yosef as a child. Rosemary and Elizabeth's children refused to testify. 
On 18th of March 2009, Elizabeth had prepared a taped deposition at her father's trial where no press or members of the public were allowed in. Elizabeth eventually showed up at the trial and confronted Yosef, which wasn't planned and was a surprise to everyone. I can't imagine the amount of strength and fear she had to overcome to stand up to do this for herself and her children. Yosef's attorney, Rudolf, confirmed that she had been in the visitor's gallery in disguise at the time her video testimony was aired. And Rudolf said, quote, Yosef Retzel recognized that Elizabeth was in court, and from this point on, you could see Yosef Retzel going pale and he broke down. It was a meeting of eyes that changed his mind, end quote. And the next day, Yosef began changing his pleas to guilty on all charges, which I'm not going to say good on him for finally recognizing his wrongdoings and pleading guilty, because it's not good on him for doing something he should not did in the first place, and then admitting he did it because he finally had a revelation of what he did wrong. On March 19, 2009, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for 15 years. He has said that he accepted the sentence and would not appeal. And as of this recording, he is currently serving out his sentence in Garston Abbey, a former monastery in Upper Austria that had been converted into a prison. So what was the aftermath? Judge Humer, who was the judge of the trial, had said that medical experts reported Elizabeth and her children were in, quote, relatively good health, end quote. After being taken into care, Elizabeth, all six of her surviving children and her mother were housed in a local clinic where they were shielded from the outside environment and received medical and psychological treatment. Members of the Furitzel family were offered new identities and it was emphasized that it was their choice to make whether or not they wanted to take them. Bertold Keplinger, head of the clinic where Elizabeth and her children were being treated, said that Elizabeth and the three children held captive in a cellar required further therapy to help them adjust to light after years of semi-darkness. They also needed treatment to help them to cope with all the extra space they had now in which they had to move about in. In May 2008, a handmade poster created by Elizabeth, her children, and her mother at the therapy facility was displayed in Amstetten. The message thanked local people for their support, and it read, quote, We, the whole family, would like to take the opportunity to thank all of you for sympathy at our fate. Your compassion is helping us greatly to overcome these difficult times. And it shows there are also good and honest people here who really care for us. We hope that soon there will be a time where we can find our way back into a normal life. End quote. Kirsten was reunited with her family on 8th of June 2008 when she was awakened from her artificially induced coma. The doctors said she would make a full recovery. It was revealed that Elizabeth and her children were more traumatized than previously thought. During captivity, Kirsten tore out her hair in clumps and was reported to have shredded her dresses before stuffing them in the toilet. And Stefan couldn't walk properly because of his height of 5 foot 8, which had forced him to bend over for years in the 5 foot 6 cellar. 
Elizabeth, Kirsten, and Stefan all suffered from normal everyday life occurrences like dimming the lights and the closing of doors and the sound of lock turning, which would plunge them into anxiety and panic attacks. The other three of Elizabeth's children who were raised by their father are being treated for anger and resentment at the events. In late July 2008, Elizabeth ordered her mother Rosemary out of the villa they had been sharing in a secret location set up for them by a psychiatric clinic. Elizabeth was upset about Rosemary's passiveness during her upbringing, and it's really hard to blame her because there were also reports arguing Rosemary knew this entire time. Because it was so hard to not know, you know? Because how could you have not been down to your own basement for 24 years? There wasn't much that was focused on Rosemary's accounts or an investigation into her. I think if she knew, she should be behind bars. If she didn't, she ought to have felt so guilty for life that she didn't find out sooner. Elizabeth and her family's represented lawyer called Christoph Herbst said, quote, Fortunately, everything is going very well, end quote. Elizabeth and her family had spent their time answering hundreds of letters from all over the world, and Felix, Kirsten, and Stefan, brought up underground with their mother, have learned to swim. Now all of Elizabeth's children attended a four-day summer camp organized by firefighters with 4,000 other young campers. And in August 2008, the children, along with their mother, have also made day trips, including swimming outings, on which care was taken to keep them out of reach of the paparazzi and to protect their privacy. A year later, in March 2009, Elizabeth and her children were forced to move out of the family's hideaway home and return to the psychiatric clinic where medical staff had started trying to heal the family, unite the, quote, upstairs and downstairs, end quote, siblings, during the previous year. Elizabeth was reported to be distraught and close to a breakdown after a British paparazzi had burst into her kitchen and started taking photographs. Which I just think, why can't you leave these people alone? They already took out their time to answer questions for you and now it's their chance to live the normal life they never had, to heal and move forward and cope in private. So after the trial, Elizabeth and her six children moved to an unnamed village in northern Austria. All of the children required ongoing therapy. Factors that traumatized the upstairs children include learning that Yosef had lied to them about their mother abandoning them, the abuse they had received from him during their childhood, and finding out that their siblings had been imprisoned in the cellar. The downstairs children, in the meanwhile, received therapy due to their deprivation from normal development, the lack of fresh air and sunshine while living confined in the basement, and the abuse that they and their mother had received from Yosef when he visited them in the basement. All of the children might have genetic problems common to children born of an incestuous relationship. Elizabeth was said to be estranged from her mother, Rosemary, who accepted Yosef's story about Elizabeth joining a cult and didn't pursue the matter further, but Elizabeth allowed her three children who grew up in Yosef and Rosemary's house to visit their grandmother regularly. Rosemary currently lives alone in a small apartment. 
As difficult as it was, Elizabeth was slowly adjusting back to normal life and outside interactions. She went out shopping, and she even started driving and passed her driving test without difficulty. It was said that Elizabeth also found love in a bodyguard hired by the government to protect her. His name is Thomas, and it was said that he was becoming a big brother figure to her children. All of Elizabeth's children have developed normal sibling relationships with each other, and after having trouble dealing with the traumatic events, the three upstairs children slowly began recognizing Elizabeth as their mother. The children really enjoy playing outdoors, playing video games, and spending time with their mother and grandmother. And despite their strained relationship, Elizabeth and her mother Rosemary started visiting each other more. Elizabeth had reportedly forgiven her mother for believing her father's story. On 28th of June 2013, workers began filling the basement of the Furitzel home with concrete. The house was to be sold on the open market. While most neighbors approved of the proposal, some prefer that the property be demolished because of the history. Asylum seekers were offered the house to live in, and the house was sold for 160,000 euros in December 2016, with the buyers voicing their intention to convert the building into apartments. So I guess I'm glad that the building is now being used for good and it's being converted into a place for people to live. In May 2017, Yosef got into fights in prison after several inmates used his name and picture to set up a fake dating profile. And after that, he changed his name to Yosef Merhoff. He also received quite a bit of interview invitations from newspapers. And frankly, people just wanted to know why he did what he did and what he was like. One of the journalists called Mark, who interviewed Yosef in his cell, said that he showed no remorse for his crimes. He said that Yosef kept saying, quote, Just look into the cellars of other people. You might find other families and girls down there. End quote. I think it's so scary how he thinks everyone else is also as sick as him, and that he thinks this kind of thinking is what everyone else's subconscious says, and they're just not expressing it on the outside. In April 2019, it was reported that his health was declining and he said he didn't want to live anymore. In September 2021, it was decided that he was to be released from the psychiatric detention facility to a regular prison where he was to continue to serve his life sentence. That decision was based on a psychiatric report that said he no longer posed any danger. The ruling was appealed, and in late April 2022, a panel of three judges decided that Yosef could be moved. That decision was based on a supplementary psychiatric report submitted in March. However, a court ruled that he will remain in the psychiatric facility until an appeal to the higher regional court in Vienna is heard. There have been other reports saying that he was suffering from dementia, which, you know, to be honest, I don't feel bad for him at all. Elizabeth only escaped because it was accidental, not that he had any intention of confessing what he did and seeing his wrongdoings. Even when he said he'd consider letting her out and quote-unquote reuniting the upstairs and downstairs family, 
which was ridiculous, by the way. Can you even imagine what the children upstairs had to go through thinking their mother abandoned them and being raised thinking your granddad is like this savior that took you in when you were abandoned, when in fact, he was a monster all along. The damage he did was irreversible and not to mention the physical and emotional scar he left on Elizabeth. But here's the thing. By moving him into a regular prison, it meant that Yosef, who received a life sentence and had served 14 years of it already, would be eligible for parole in 2023. Yes, this year March, which is next month as of this recording, he'll be eligible for parole again and will be allowed out about in the world. And that's the end for now. I hope Elizabeth and her children are now living relatively normal lives and are healing from their traumatic experience. This woman has survived so much, and I hope she lives happily with her boyfriend and her kids without any more people disturbing them, because being happy is all she deserves. And no, I didn't try to look up where they are now. They've been offered the option to change their name and relocate to somewhere where no one knew them. And I think that's more than fair. They deserve peace and quiet and no more poking into lives trying to reopen wounds. I know that some people argue that Rosemary, Elizabeth's mom, had some sort of idea what was happening and she didn't say much in trial, neither to defend or accuse her husband. I personally like to give her the benefit of the doubt and say I don't think she knew that much. You have to remember Yosef did pick her as a wife because her quote-unquote obedience, which he must have also thought would be great because no one would question where he's gone all day and his activities. And if she also found out the same time Elizabeth escaped, she must have been going through a lot realizing her husband wasn't who she thought she'd married. And to realize someone you've slept next to for decades wasn't really who they said they were would have also been very traumatizing. So. What do you think? Do you think she knew or no? I've been thinking about how I should end on an episode that was so content heavy like this one. And I think Wes Holbrush's article had a quote that I believe summarizes what we all wish this family's future will be. He wrote, quote, Yosef Ritzel will not have the last word in this as he rots in hell where he belongs. No. That last word will go to Kirsten, who upon waking from her coma said, A new life is starting for all of us. Let us be happy.